church. Uh, it was amazing just to see all the ways, the creative ways they come, they've come up with to help bridge the community in uh, education and child care and just uh, job employment, even their own, um, <coughs> what's it called, Robbie, the, um, yeah, their own credit union now, their own credit union. So uh, we can learn a lot from them in that area, I think. But uh, they don't have any vision for the world, really, uh, outside of their own cycle of poverty, their own community down in Woodlawn. And so the Lord's been working in their hearts to help them see that, you know, um, uh, the call, the mandate is for the world, not just for that community. And so they had their conference and had Nard Pugal come in and spoke on Wednesday. Some of y'all were there. Appreciate you coming out to that. It was great. Some of you prayed for that, so thank you for that, too. But Nard spoke, and it was just a perfect message for that audience, I thought, and went really good. And then that following Saturday, they did a, a helicopter in the hood, <laughs> and it was really good. We did it down to Lawson Field. And, you know, when we've done it, we were pressed to get 180 people in the air. They did almost 300 <laughs> and had, had people left over. They didn't get to ride. And uh, this is a little short clip of that, just a little follow-up film. <clears throat> I thought it was interesting. I said if we could show it just to encourage you that the Lord is working a work in that church and pray that he'll continue to allow us to partner with that church in events, with our men and other things that may, may bring us together, and that he'll continue to develop that, that desire to reach the world for Christ through world missions. So here's that little film. Well, our church is located in the heart of a local mission field, zip code 35206. It is high crime, high poverty. We already do so much to be a blessing to this community. We relieve people through outreach, whether it be through Operation East. We give away free food, free clothes, free health care. We also empower people through community development. This is the reason we have a summer enrichment camp. This is the reason we have a credit union. This is the reason we do Connect for Careers for Jobs, all of that to bless our community locally. At the same time, God does not just have a heart for the east side of Birmingham, Alabama. But you learned it in Sunday School 101, John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world. Helicopters in the Hood was a way for us to introduce foreign missions to Team Star. We do a lot locally, but God is moving all over the world. Pastor had an opportunity to visit Jar's missionary organization in North Carolina. And he had a chance while he was there to fly on the very helicopters that they use in the mission field. He wanted to bring that experience right here to zip code 35206. Not only having the experience of riding on a helicopter, but at the same time, teaching on God's heart for the world. On Wednesday night, Pastor Beavers invited Nard from Jar's to give his testimony about the Bible being translated into his native language and him taking it back to his people was absolutely amazing. We were also able to highlight and give to some of our very own missionaries. Yes, big ups to Corey and Jenny of House of Hope International for the work that you're doing in Uganda. And then the fun came. Everybody who showed up that Wednesday night, 6.45 p.m. to hear our teaching on foreign missions able to get free helicopter rides the following Saturday 
at Lawson Football Field. It was absolutely amazing. Check this out. I had a lot of fun in the helicopter. Beautiful out there. I'm happy you had to start the helicopters in the hood. Thank you, David, and we certainly appreciate what the Lord is doing in uh, partnering us with uh, Thomas and Church New Rising Star, and we'll be having some, actually some men's events coming up, and uh, you need to mark your calendar. I think the men, in fact, received a newsletter this week indicating some of those things coming up, and you know, I think it's wonderful when the Church of God can partner with one another, um, because it's all about the gospel, and the um, Bible tells us that the, in heaven... They'll be there from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. And so we want to make sure that we're um, doing our part here and we continue to pray about the opportunities God gives us in this community here uh, to reach people for the gospel. This morning, our theme is on the value of the word, the value of the message. And I want you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. As we continue our messages through Second Peter, one of the things that um, the Lord has impressed upon me is that we are very privileged people to be able to open God's Word on a daily basis. Um, you know, there's tribes around the world that, people that around the world that don't have God's Word in their hand. And, um, and we have many, many copies, don't we? In our living room, in our bedroom, wherever we happen to have our Bibles. And I was thinking, man, Lord, do we really treasure what we have? And so, I want us to stand as we read from Psalm 19. We'll read uh, verses 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them thy servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. May the Lord bless the word that's been read this morning. Let's bow and pray together. Lord, we, we thank you for this precious treasure that we have, that we hold in our hand, the word of God. We thank you that it's been preserved for all these years for us to have and to hold and to read and to embrace and to obey. And Lord, I pray that this morning that as we look at this um, precious treasure that you've given us and consider that there are those out there who knowingly or unknowingly are leading people astray through 
empty messages, I pray that, that we would be committed at grace to opening your word. That's where the meat is. It's in your word. And I pray that we would be faithful to do that, whether we find ourselves in a Sunday school class or, or here behind the pulpit or in any setting, Lord, that we would value what you say to us and that it would be precious to us and that we would consider it and that we would embrace it. And then when you call for obedience, that we would obey what you tell us. Because, Lord, the things that you tell us, you tell us for our own good. I pray that we would embrace and obey what you tell us. And all these things, uh, we pray in the precious name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Good morning. I'm so glad that each and every one of you are here this morning. And we hope and pray that we have all come for one reason. That is to glorify the Lord and to worship him. He is certainly the only one worthy of it, of all the things that we spend time, money, emotion, uh, and in our lives. He's the only thing that's truly worthy of all of it in our lives. So let's lift his name up as we worship together.
praise the Lord. Y'all can be seated as we sing this next song. Sundays where um, 
Joe, after that first song, this is Amazing Grace, I just wanted you to do it again. <laughs> almost, I almost said, hey, Joe, we're doing that again. Um, and then as we were singing your great name, and we got to that part, Redeemer, Defender, I, I can't hardly sing that. Uh, I used to wonder about my grandfather, my mom's dad. He used to cry a lot when he was older. I was like, why is this guy crying all the time? He's reading the Word, he's crying, he's reading the hymn, he's crying, he's crying, he's just crying. And as I've gotten older um, in the Lord, I understand. Because when I think about him being my Redeemer, I'm just blown away. But then when I think about him being my Defender, it's like, oh my goodness. Because I'm just a man. And yet, the God-man, Jesus Christ, saved me. And he is my righteousness. And um, I just uh, am so thankful for times like that. So thank you guys this morning for wonderful uh, time and music and just singing to the Lord. Um, it's not very often that we have opportunity to see two of our families here at the same time. They're mission families, but it's a privilege. And I'm going to have them stand because not everybody probably knows you guys. But Jordan and Hannah Self and then um, Fran and Janice Burgess and their families. Y'all stand. Would you stand? All right. I didn't tell you you could sit down yet. No. <laughs> oh, man. It's, it's wonderful um, to know our missionaries and to be in relationship with them. We're so thankful for them. And uh, if you haven't had an opportunity to meet Jordan and Hannah or friend Janice, make sure you do that. Uh, It'll be a privilege for you to do that, to get to know them. All right, well, I need you to turn your Bibles to Second Peter. We are moving through it rapidly. <laughs> We're a little more than one word a week, but... We're actually going to cover three verses this morning. And uh, I know, woo-hoo! And uh, we'll actually be finished with chapter two um, next message. So, praise the Lord. He's moving us right along, so we should be done with 2 Peter by the end of 2019. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> <All right. laughs> It'll move faster in chapter 3. Um, you know, one of the great privileges that I have as a pastor is to hold newborn babies. Um, it's just awesome to, to see these precious gifts, and they are um, precious gifts that God gives to moms and dads. And um, the Lord was so good to give me three precious gifts, myself and my wife. And, and every time I go to the hospital, I'm just reminded in doing those visits of, of how precious not only these kids are, but how precious our God is and how precious his gospel is and how precious his word is. And I hope that when we walk away today, we're going to realize how important it is to stay connected every day to the precious Word of God. Um, there are a couple of reminders I want to give to you of just how precious God's Word is. and um, One of them comes from the Old Testament, and it's from Job. All right, now, Job, if you read the book of Job... Um, this guy had a lot of challenges. And there's a lot of conversations that go on with so-called friends. And, 
in response, sometimes Job has some things to say that are very, very powerful, very deep. He says in chapter 23, verse 12, I have not departed from the command of his lips, his there being God's. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. That's a pretty big statement. And we live in a culture of man, food, 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 right? We, we love food. He says here, I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. I hope that we find as we get older that there's nothing like tasting and eating God's word on a daily basis. And then Peter reminds his readers in the first letter he wrote to them, notice what he says about the preciousness and importance of God's word. He says, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord abides forever. And this is the word which was preached to you, meaning the word that abides forever. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. In other words, get rid of all that sin stuff. Like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word. Why? Here it is. Here's a, a statement that really kind of gets overlooked in there. That it, by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Right? That by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. That by it you may grow in respect to salvation. And so the word of God certainly is precious. And these are just a couple of reminders. One from Job and one from First Peter. But you know, there's also in the Bible a warning about those who, who take the word and um, twist it and who change it. And it's one of those things that I take very seriously. And as we're going into this text today in Second Peter 2, I think it's important to kind of look at this for just a second. Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19. This is how serious... God takes his word. He says, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God shall add to him the plagues that are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of the prophecy, God shall take away his part from the tree of life, from the holy city which are written in this book. Guys, listen, what, what you hold in your hands today is very precious. It's God's word. Young people, I can't encourage you enough as you get older and you grow, you're only going to grow in respect to your salvation by reading and studying God's word. That's only, the only way it's going to happen. I mean, you're not going to sleep on a pillow and it's not going to happen that way. You have to be alert. You have to be in the word. You have to say, Lord, I, I want to grow. I want to know what you want for my life. And young people, I've got something to tell you that's encouraging. All these other ones that are older than you are still learning in respect to their salvation. And hopefully they're still growing in. That includes me. I have a long way to go. The Lord is still working on me. And do you know, I've got encouraging news for you. He's still working on you. And he's doing it every day. And people are like, how does that happen? It happens through the study of the Word of God. And so, as we come to this passage, um, we're met with a group of people who don't necessarily have that as their mind, the value of the Word of God. And we've been talking about these false teachers, and, and we said to this point that they're arrogant, and they're godless, right? That's what Peter said. 
Well, that's pretty, pretty powerful words. And, and now he begins to talk about their message. And that's what we want to focus in on this morning, their message. So I want us to look at verses 17 through 19, then we'll go back through it. Look at verse 17. These are springs without water, mist driven by a storm or by a tempest, some translations may have, for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Lord, we need your help. We want to understand more clearly what you desire from us. And we want to know how we can um, protect ourselves. It's quite obvious from this passage that Peter was concerned as a shepherd for his sheep. And I pray that we would take to heart the message of Peter this morning as we look at the message of these false teachers. Uh, as we run into each and every word that we look at this morning. Lord, we want you uh, to be honored, and we want the reminder, we want to be taught by your Spirit, and so we're praying for all these things this morning, in the name of Christ, amen. All right, so we start out in verse 17. He says, first of all, that their message is empty. There's nothing there, right? You ever sat through a graduation uh, and the speaker, the valedictorian, or solidatorian, or just the speaker, and you're like, wow, this person just said nothing never had that ever happened to you maybe even happened as we sat under a pastor and you're like he said nothing today hopefully not but at graduations that happens a lot you're sitting there and you're going wow what did this person just say um i remember sitting in a graduation one time at montevallo and i was like oh my goodness you needed a translator for the people I had no idea what this person said. I remember leaning over to the person next to me and going, what did they just say? Well, in this passage, Peter says, these guys have an empty message. These are springs without water, two pretty powerful pictures, and mist driven by a storm. Well, in Palestine, water was a very precious commodity. Um, and when you were thirsty, right, there's a lot of desert land in Palestine. I've been to Israel, and there is a lot of desert land there. And so, right for us, we can just go to a water fountain, or we, nowadays we can get a bottle of water, you can buy as much as you want to. That wasn't true then. And so, Peter paints these pictures that were, were um, very easy for his readers to understand. Um, these are springs or wells without water. So you're traveling across the desert, and there's a promise of a drink from a well or a spring, and you get there, and it's dried up. There's nothing there. Um, Jude says it this way, they're clouds without water. Clouds without water. I remember when I was in uh, high school, I played Legion baseball. I had a double-A baseball coach. Actually, he was in a double-A organization for the St. Louis Cardinals. So it was a really big privilege to play for this guy, and he'd retired, and he was our coach. And I remember, you know, it's funny how as you get older, there are some things you can remember when you were younger, and, and you can remember to the detail. 
right? But there's some things you can't remember at all. I can't tell you a whole lot about school, but I can tell you about this one particular day. I showed up at baseball, and we had a game that day. And there were what I thought were storm clouds in the area, big old clouds, right? And I was like, ah, we're not going to play baseball today. I went up there and said, hey, coach, we're not going to play ball today. He looked at me, he said, Blunt, that's what he called me, Blunt, get on that field. He said, and warm up. Those clouds are empty. There's nothing in them. And you know what? It didn't rain that day. And then I'd show up to the field sometimes, and I'd say, ah, coach, no problem today. We're going to play today. He's like, no, those clouds over there, a lot of rain in them. A lot of refreshment in those clouds. Well, Peter said about these guys, they are springs without water and mist driven by a storm. Have you ever walked outside and you, and you saw these clouds? This is the picture of mist driven by a storm. And these clouds are just racing along and you're like, oh man, these are storm clouds and they're going to dump a bunch on us and there's nothing there. They're empty. That's the picture that Peter gives to these guys about the, the message of these false teachers. They are springs without water, mist driven by a storm. Uh, Jude says, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. There's nothing there. When you go and you're sitting and you're listening to a message, you expect there to be something. Um, can I tell you this? That the starting point for any good message is God's word. And the ending point for any good message is God's word. And anything in between, it better be God's word. That's got to be the central focus. I like what S. Lewis Johnson says about these guys. He said, Peter wants to stress that these false teachers are giving the impression that they really have something to say. However, they are those who have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. Um, you remember what Jesus said, though, in contrast to the woman at the well? You remember in John chapter 4? He said to her, Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. Are you listening to that? Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Listen to me. God's word, God's word's powerful. It has the words of life. It has the words of eternal life. I'm concerned about the church culture today. Can I just say that? I'm concerned that we've traded in pastors who, whose focus was the word for pastors who, whose um, call is to be a comedian or a storyteller. No. You know, Paul wasn't called to be a storyteller. He was called to tell the story of Christ. Pastors are called to preach the word without, without embarrassment because this is the word of God and it has life. I like the S. Lewis Johnson quote because these guys are given the impression they have really something to say, but they don't. And listen, you can turn on your television. There are a lot of different illustrations. We won't point out any specifics. But you can turn on your television and it seems like the message is more about the man that's standing behind the pulpit than the word itself. It's troubling to me. I think about these young people that are growing up in this culture, and I don't know, I mean, I, I'm not sure if the church is gonna be around here in 25 years or not. You know, what's Grace Community Church gonna look like in 10 or 15 years? I don't know. I don't know this, young people, listen to me. It may not be me, I may not be standing behind here, 
But you better find somebody that will open God's Word and teach it. You better find somebody that cares enough about you. Now listen to me. That cares enough about you to tell you the truth. The truth. I mean, you know, if, if you want the applause of men, which some do, don't talk about sin. You're going to have to eliminate a lot of the Bible. And do you know that's what false teachers do? if you ever watch them, they'll take a lot of the Old Testament right out of context and make it for the church, and it's not for the church, it's for Israel. <laughs> it's sad. Well, so their message is empty. Verse 17. And then it says, verse 18, their message is egotistical. Verse 18, look at this. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity. Um, the, the, the phrase speaking out um, is really emphasized in the Greek. I, you can't see that in your translation. But it's loud talking. That's the idea. It's loud speaking. You know, I remember going to a service one time in a particular church, and the guy got up and he's reading the Bible. You know, I was praising the Lord for that. I was skeptical when I walked through the door. But he got up and he read the Bible, and then he shut the Bible. And I promise you, for another 45 minutes to an hour, he went back and forth on the stage. He wore me out. And he said nothing. Had nothing to do with the passage he read. I was like, hey, great, this is a wonderful passage. This really needs to be preached. And do you know I remember the passage? It was Revelation chapter 2. It was the message to the church of Ephesus. And I thought, hey, man, this has got a lot of great stuff in it. And the people today in our culture, in our church culture, need to hear this. And he shut his Bible and he went ranting and raving about everything else that had nothing to do with God's Word. And I walked out of there and I was like, well, that was an exercise in futility. Nothing was said. These guys speak loud. They have high-sounding words. The word arrogant there means high-sounding or swelling words, arrogant words. I like the way Warren Wiersbe uh, puts it. They impress people with their words and oratory. I mean, they're good speakers. People want to hear them. But what they say is just, look at what he says. But what they say is just so much hot air. It's cotton candy. That's what it is, cotton candy. Hey, listen, and you're going to see the substance of the, the message of these guys. Who doesn't want to hear a message that says you're in control of your life? Who doesn't want to hear that? Who doesn't want to hear a message that says God really doesn't care what you do? It's your life. <laughs> um, oftentimes, today they may say something like this, and they get the attention. It's amazing how people just, like their eyes are bugging out of their head. You know, after they say this, they'll say, I have a word from the Lord. And then you're like, well, I hope it is. Because if it's a word from the Lord, where is it coming from? The book, right? Or they say, I have a new revelation. My ears always perk up when I hear that. What are you talking about? But you'd be surprised at the number of people, listen to me, and they sit there like this because you've seen them on television. They're like, whoa. Right? They're in a trance. Listen to me, we underestimate the power of the enemy. They're, they're blinded. 
You know, in thinking about that, I wrote a little paragraph I want to read to you. I wrote it down. These are my words. I was thinking, well, okay, these guys, they're egotistical, they're loud, they're arrogant, they're high-sounding in their speech, they're great orders. But I wrote this. In thinking about Peter's point and thinking of the current landscape in the pulpit today, I wrote these words. There are teachers today with no accountability. Are you listening to me? No accountability. They are the law. (laughs) What they say, that's it. Can I tell you something I'm thankful for? There are a lot of discerning men in this congregation. There are a lot of shepherds out there. And you know what? They expect whoever's behind this pulpit to teach God's word. There is accountability. Right? There should be. There are teachers with no accountability. I call them this, smooth dictators. And they are smooth. <laughs> and don't kid yourself, just because they smile and have you know, this big smile and, oh, I'm for you and all that, hey, look, they're dictators. Smooth dictators who view themselves as above the people. Mm, listen to me. As above the people, not as one of them. I want to tell you right now, I do not view it that way. I'm just one of you. I have the analogy, and I've said, I've said this before. We're in a canoe, and I'm with you. Right? I'm with you in the canoe. It's just us. We're believers. You know what separates us? And this is not what's talked about enough. You know what separates us as believers? Gifts. We all have different gifts, different talents. God's gifted us differently. Aren't you glad about that? Aren't you glad we're not all the same? So we're all different. I put this, who view themselves as above the people, not as one of them. Their message is one that people desire. They want to hear it. Why? Because it's just cotton candy. Even Paul warned of this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Listen to this. He says, for the time will come when when they will not endure sound doctrine, sound teaching, but wanting to have their ears tickled, right? They don't want to hear hard stuff. I mean, who wants to talk about the doctrine of sin? Right? I mean, next week, we're going to talk about the doctrine of sin. Man, I can't wait. I'm inviting all my friends. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And listen to this. This is awful. And will turn away from the truth. Why? Because the truth is hard. It's hard. How many of you are mature enough in the Lord to know the truth is hard? Lord, you want me to do What? You want me to give up what? By the way, all that's possible because the Spirit of God lives in us. We can give up the what, and we can do the what for God. He says, they turn away from the truth and will turn aside to miss. On the other hand, looking at Paul's attitude, it's quite a contrast from these false teachers. Just to give you an example, 1 Corinthians that should be on the bottom. First Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Look what it says. Paul says this, And when I came to you, brethren, so he's talking to believers, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. By the way, if the messenger's focused on Jesus Christ and him crucified, it won't be about him. Are you listening to me? It won't be about him. And he says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. 
and my message and my preaching, look at this, were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, let's read that again, that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. And so their message is not only empty, but it's egotistical. And thirdly, he tells us in the passage here that their message is enticing. They entice. Notice what it says, uh, verse 18. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity. They use these arrogant words to entice. They entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. So the question is, who are the ones who barely escape? Well, if you, if you do some study and some research, you're going to find there's a couple of different thoughts on that. Some believe, some theologians believe that these are people who are baby Christians, who have escaped from error, who do know the Lord. That's one view. And then the other view is that these are people who have escaped from those living in error, who are constantly living in error. They don't yet know the Lord, but they're being influenced by these false teachers. So pick one. Read one this afternoon. Either way, it doesn't matter, does it? I mean, look, at, look what he's saying. He's saying, for uh, speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice. They're enticing these folks. And the question becomes, how are they enticing them? Well, he gives us two reasons. They're enticing by fleshly desires and by sensuality. I gave you definitions for those two terms. Wayne Barber says this, they offer people a religion that can embrace and hold on to fleshly desires and sensuality without consequence. <laughs> you know, they're abusing grace. That's what they are. They're grace abusers. They offer people a religion that can embrace and hold on to fleshly desires and sensuality without consequence. And you know what? They have a lot of ammo to work with. And we think about fleshly desires and sensuality, a lot, of, a lot of times we're thinking about strictly about sexual sin. And they do entice through sexual sin. But there's more to it than that. There's a lot of ammunition for them. I want you to go in your Bibles to Galatians. I'm only going to ask you to turn to one passage. But here's some of the ammunition they have that they can fire away at people, whether they're new believers or, or not. There's a lot to work with. Galatians chapter 5. Look at verse... 19. Look at all the different ways, right, that they can be enticed. Here it is, the deeds of the flesh. What are they? He says the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality. They entice, they can entice through immorality, impurity, sensuality, there's that word again, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envyings, drunkenness, carousing. That's a lot to work with, isn't it? Right? You want to entice someone, you can entice them through sensuality and fleshly desires, but fleshly desires here is more than just sexual sin. It's all these things that Paul introduces to in contrast with being controlled by the Spirit or walking by the Spirit. These are the deeds of the flesh. Hey, listen, we know as believers we struggle with that. Right? As believers, we struggle with all that list that, that uh, Paul makes here. But can you imagine if you're sitting under someone who says, hey, listen, you can have Christ, but you can live like you want to live. 
Doesn't matter. Well, according to the Bible, it does matter. It matters. The Lord does care. Um, can I just give you, I wrote down just a warning for all of us concerning sensuality or sexual sin. Um, I wrote it down because I think it's very important. You need to be careful, and I need to be careful where I find myself and who I find myself with. And I need to be careful. And I know this is a sensitive subject, but I need to be careful with those people who I spend alone time with. It's bottom line, right? So well, you control yourself. Well, you know what? The flesh is weak, right? Sometimes when people sin in that fashion, we go, man, how could they have ever done that? You and I are one step away. See? It's only by the grace of God that we're not giving in to the lust or the desires of the flesh. And so we need to be careful who we hang out with and how long we hang out with and physical touch. Can I just say that right out to you? Physical touch of the opposite sex. I think you have to be careful. I remember uh, growing up and working with youth and I had a lot of different opportunities to work with youth. A lot of different opportunities. Work with youth in Louisiana, here in Alabama, in Arkansas. And one of the things I learned early on through a guy who was doing what I didn't think needed to be done, I learned through him. Every time he, the youth would show up, man, he was hugging all of them. And I mean, frontal hugs and all that, and I'm like, hmm, that just made, I, I don't like much touching anyway, but that was like, wow. That, that, and I remember, I was about 21 or 22, and I thought, that shouldn't happen. I want to tell you something, guys. The flesh is weak. Remember that. And do you know what? Something that can start out as something innocent, with an innocent hug of encouragement. My friends, listen to me. Satan can use that. So I'm just encouraging you. I have a rule. Now, I've been surprised on a few occasions. I remember one time in my office, somebody said, I just want to give you a hug. And it was like, Whoa! But I like the half hug. I just don't, I like the half hug. And I know some people say, Dad, come on, open up. You know what, guys? You know what I'm doing? I'm protecting myself. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> right? And listen, I encourage you to think about that because the enemy, the enemy attacks us on a daily basis. And I want to tell you something. We need to make sure that we're protecting ourselves. All right, so they entice through fleshly desires and sensuality. And then lastly, um, their message is encouraging. I wanted to keep all the E's, so I'm like, you know, I got all these E's, and I'm like, well, it is encouraging if you're sitting on the side of the listener, right, because you can do what you want to do. There is no consequence. But we know better. There is consequence. Um, notice what... Peter says, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. <laughs> I mean, I wrote in my margin, who doesn't want to hear a message centered around freedom, meaning do as you please? Their message was one of significant abuse as it relates to grace. And I want you to understand something. Yes, we are saved by grace. And we live daily 
by the grace of God. But we shouldn't abuse that grace. (laughs) There is grace, but it's not a license to do as one pleases. Listen to this. One theologian wrote, There is grace, but it's not a license to do as one pleases, but a freedom to live for the Lord under the control of the Holy Spirit. It's not, hey, I'm free, I can do what I want to. I got Christ, I'm going to heaven. Peter spoke about this to them in this first letter. He says, act as free men. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of who? Of God. Act as free men. I, I act as a free man. Every day I act as a free man. Because I am free. I'm free in Christ. But I'm free to do what? I'm free to obey him. And you know what I don't need? I don't need a list from you. And you don't need a list from me. And you know what's so wonderful? Is that the Spirit of God lives in you. And the Spirit of God is going to lead you into all truth. So guess what's going to happen? i got great news for you. You know what's going to happen? You're going to know what God wants for you. Isn't that great? I mean, it'll be crystal clear. I've found over my life as a believer, there aren't many gray areas when it comes to what God wants for me. I think one of the things that's happened in the church is teachers have created gray areas. It seems to me that a whole lot of times God draws a line in the sand. You remember lines in the sand when you were growing up? You know, my dad was real careful to draw lines in the sand. And do you know what he said to Thad Blunt, who is his son every day? Son, you're not leaving that room till your bed's made. What? Guess what? I made my bed every day. Because I knew what was on the other side of that. Right? And the whole time, hey, Thad, I want this done outside. I remember the time he said, I want you to pull weeds out of my garden. I want you to listen to me. Weeds out of his garden. Lots of weeds. Right? Thank Adam for that. Lots of weeds. And, and in the backyard, our garden was like maybe from here to the back of the wall. Right? And, and wide. And I remember the first time he said, Dad, I want you to go clear out all those weeds. I went out there, I was probably eight, nine years old, and I'm pulling those weeds. I'm like, yeah, it looks good. He walked out there and he said, no, sir. It's not done. It's not done right. Right? So there are times when we were growing up where the line was drawn in the sand for us. It was crystal clear. Uh, just a little sidebar to parents. Draw the line in the sand. I want to tell you something that I've seen over the last 10 years or so. The lines are not being drawn in the sand in enough families. And here's what the mind is. Well, my child's not going to like that, and I want them to like me. You know what you need from your child? Respect. You know how that comes? When the lines are in the sand. Can I tell you about how God does it? God draws lines in the sand, and he draws the lines in the sand for us because he loves us. Right? I mean, some people look at the commands of the Lord and say, man, those are so hard. They are difficult. With the help of the Holy Spirit, we can obey. But do you know he draws those lines in the sand so that because he loves us and so that we'll walk in step with him? 
Well, all right. You believe it? We've almost made it through three verses. So their message is empty, it's egotistical, right? It's enticing, it's encouraging to those who are listening. Notice what he says at the end of verse 19, just real quick. He says, for by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. And I wrote a question in my margin. What about you? What are you overcome by? <laughs> right? That's a pretty heavy question. That's for you to think about this afternoon. Well, if you go through those verses and you've been following along, you're like, hey, Thad, you left something out. How many of you know I left something out? I left a phrase out. Any of you paying that close attention? I left a phrase out, back up in verse 17. I did it intentionally because I wanted to end with some encouragement to you. There's a phrase that Peter uses in verse 17. It's a striking contrast is the way I entitled it. For whom the black darkness has been reserved. Notice at the end of that verse, he says to about these false teachers. He says, verse 17, there are springs without water, mist driven by a storm, for whom the black darkness has been reserved. That doesn't sound good to me. Does that sound good to you? But it, all throughout this chapter, Peter's talked about their pending doom, that it's certain. And notice the words that he uses. He says at the end of verse 17, that this black darkness has been reserved for them. For who? For these false teachers. Guys, you know what? We have a reservation. If you're in Christ, you have a reservation. Do you know that? Same words used back in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. If you know the Lord is your Savior, this is your reservation. Look at this. Blessed, Peter writes, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Kind of goes along with that song we, we sang this morning through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance, which is what? This is your inheritance. Now listen to this. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. And it won't fade away. You're like, man, one day I'm going to get an inheritance. When my folks die off, I got news for you about that. It's all fading away. In fact, when we get to chapter 3, you're going to see all this stuff that people value today, it's going to burn up. You know, some people are like, what? Don't tell me that. It is. But this is an inheritance, according to Peter, that is imperishable. It will not perish. It's not defiled. It will not fade away. And look at this. This is good. It's reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Do you see that little phrase there? Reserved in heaven for you. How many? Reservation. Who's that for? It's for those who are in Christ. If you're in Christ, that reservation's certain. You ever called a hotel to make a reservation and you show up at the hotel and they're like, I'm sorry, Mr. Blunt, we don't have your name. You ever had that happen? And you're like, hey, right? You might even be a little red-faced, hey. Because you've been driving for 12 or 14 hours, you're like, hey. 
and there's not another hotel in sight, and you're like, hey! Guys, listen to this. You know what Peter writes to these believers? This inheritance, which is imperishable, undefiled, and that doesn't fade away, it's reserved in heaven for you. And do you know what happened? When you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, stamp. You were stamped by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that good? That's what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1. You were stamped. And you can't get rid of it. When you go to carnivals sometimes, they'll stamp you. Back in the day they used to anyway. And they'd, they'd stamp you. And I hated those dumb little stamps, right? Sometimes you couldn't get all the stuff off. But they'd stamp you. But eventually it would fade away. You've been stamped if you're in Christ. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you've been stamped and it's not going to fade away. You're being kept. That's a good thing, right? I'll close with this. When your kids are growing up, you keep them, right? You keep them. And, and when they're really small, you, you keep them right by your side, right? You don't want them to get away from you. And as they get older, this is hard to do, but as they get older, they kind of move away from you a little bit. And finally, you know what happens? They move out. Hey, guys, you think about it. As I think about my life, I was a little guy once, and I got to be an older guy, right? And then eventually I left my home. This, right now, is going away. I don't know how long I have. And guess what? You don't know how long you have. And this life is going away. But you know what? One thing that will never pass away is God's word. And the other thing that won't pass, listen to me. When you close your eyes, the very millisecond you close your eyes, as a believer, you are ushered into the presence of the Lord. I mean, who can beat that? you got a reservation. I hope. There may be some of you today that don't have one. There may be some of you today that are sitting there that are dead men that don't know Christ. This week I had an opportunity to speak at kids camp. Can I just say a couple things about kids camp? Yes, I can. Andrea does a wonderful job with our children. Right. Wonderful job. These young people that were there this week, and I'm talking about the young people like youth age, they did a wonderful job with these young kids. And I know Andrea's thankful for them. I'm thankful for them. They're wonderful young people. I appreciate them so much. And I was there Friday night. I think they saved the oldest guy for last. But I was there Friday night, and I spoke to these young people. And my heart was so heavy. I've been rereading this book, and it's about our, it's, it's a kind of a comparison with what's been in the past to the culture now. Church maybe 25 years ago versus church today. And all the different terms that we use and how much different they are. And as I've been reading that book, I'm like, man, Lord, these young people, I don't know if they're hearing the basic stuff. I really don't. I don't know if they're hearing it enough. And I don't want them to think that they can hold on to the spiritual coattails of their parents. 
or their grandparents. It's about their relationship with Jesus Christ. And I just gave them a simple message and I shared it with them. And I told them, I said, look, Jesus is God. He is God. God made flesh. John chapter 1. And I told him, secondly, I said, listen, not only is Jesus God, but there is only one way to God, and that's through Jesus. Peter said it himself, there's salvation in no one else other than Jesus Christ. And then I told him, and I ended with this, I said, there is a heaven and there is a hell. And you're going to spend, one of, you're going to spend eternity in one of those places. But you know what? That's true for every single one of us in this room. There's a heaven and there's a hell. Do you know for certain that you're going to be in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning and a lot to consider. These false teachers are misleading people and they were in Peter's day, they're in our day. And I really believe, Lord, that the difference is pretty simple. Um, if you're going to teach the true gospel then you're going to have to talk about the condition of men. People don't like to do that today. But Lord, we are wretched. (laughs) And without the righteousness of Christ, we would still be in our sins. And so we're thankful for the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that he took on himself the penalty that I deserve and that everyone in here deserves. I pray if there's one here today, Lord, that does not know you as their Savior, that today could be the day of salvation. And Lord, for those of us who know you, I pray that we're not growing weary of following you, but that we're staying fresh in your word each day, allowing you to teach us what it is that you want for our lives. I do pray for our young people. I thank you so much for the youth leaders and the the college group and all these leaders and the children's ministry, Lord, that they, that they are centered on your word. And I pray that you would keep them that way and that they would be focused in, in teaching the word of God and because, Lord, the word has the words of life. And so I pray that we would um, just be committed believers to that. Thank you for our time together this morning. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.
statement, isn't it? I mean, it's a heavy statement. I remember, you may not, Spring Road years ago, I remember when they sang that, and the Lord changed my message right there sitting. I was like, oh my goodness, because it was just so overwhelming. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world offers. I mean, seriously? And so every, I mean, you think about all those pictures that come in front of you of all the things the world has to offer, but you, you and I want Jesus. So that's a big, big, big thing to think about. So I encourage you to do that uh, today, and I'll do it as well. Uh, let's pray. Thank the Lord for our time. After I'm done, uh, Jessica Dumas has a really brief announcement she needs to make, and then you'll be dismissed, right? Lord, thank you so much uh, for our time today. To sing that song, I'd rather have you than anything this world affords. Um, certainly heavy. And probably for us, Lord, we need to consider that every day. Because every day there's so much in our world that's being thrown up in our face that has been attached heavy value. And yet, Lord, as we're going to find out in chapter 3, it's all burning up. So help us to be about the eternal and not the temporary. In Jesus' name, amen.